0: Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackburn, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com and myself will break down Florida's SEC opener against Alabama on Wednesday night. Uh, Gators starting SEC play after their original SEC opener at Ole Miss was canceled due to COVID issues in both programs. Uh, we will talk about the Crimson Tide, dive into lineups and rotations that Mike White's been using, talk about what they can do better. On that front, to put the guys in in better position as SEC play opens, talk about the Gators' brutal January slate, ranked the second most difficult January in the country based on the net ratings, Um, and uh, just sort of give you an overview of what's to come over the next few games. So, hope you guys enjoy the show. Happy New Year to all. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday down south, joined by Eric Foss at Eric, briefly, um, you know, it's good to be back. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. Um, We're not going to spend a ton of time on the Stony Brook game. It was played uh, prior to the Christmas break, prior to Florida having a brief COVID pause, what looks like a brief COVID pause, knock on wood. Um. And the Gators played really well, shot the ball well for the first time in a while and, and uh, really used their size advantage to dominate a team that uh, most people think is going to at least compete to win the America East.
1: Yeah. I still think they're pretty good. I know a lot of people, uh, were kind of coming at us on on Twitter and maybe some others as well who were kind of saying before the game that we thought Stony Brook was, was a good team. And a lot of people thought that that was, you know, pre-excuse making if the Gators didn't take care of business. But, you know, the Gators win handily. And I I still think that Stony Brook's really good. Just one of those teams that unfortunately just lacks that kind of high end size and athleticism to hang with a team like Florida. Um, But I mean, in terms of those guards, I I still think they're really good. And Jaleel Jenkins, especially, I I thought he was fantastic. So uh, hopefully that win um, ends up looking pretty good. And Sony Brick goes on and wins their league. And I'm cheering for them. I enjoyed watching them play. But – that, that was kind of my, my, my one takeaways, you know, I do think that, you know, Florida did play really well. And to beat a team like that by 25 is, is, is pretty impressive. And I think uh, even looking at the way that, that Flanders Fleming was able to kind of take control um, especially with his ability to shoot the ball, it was kind of one of those games where it was like, you know, he was able to play a really good game of basketball, but it wasn't him just, you know, dunking over smaller players. It wasn't like he was a, you know, six foot 11 center who was just, uh going against a smaller player it was like what he was doing on the perimeter was kind of shots that he would have been able to to get against um, kind of any quality of, of competition and he knocked down shots in in a way that he would have against any kind of competition so um i thought that that was pretty uh pretty cool for for fleming
0: yeah no that was uh that was really promising i mean florida definitely played some of their best offense of the season um, in the Stony Brook game, obviously, you know, like you had mentioned, like I alluded to, that there is a size advantage. Also, uh, Stony Brook's uh, preseason America East player of the year was out and uh, is expected to return January 8th for their game against Maine, which apparently is a big rivalry, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I never really knew that that Maine – was the the type of program that that drew a serious rival, but apparently uh, it does. So there's that. And then the other guy that I thought was just spectacular uh, was Tyree Appleby. And you know what I loved so much about his game against Stony Brook was that he just played within himself and created for other people.
1: Oh, yeah, it would have been really easy for him to to go and kind of try to get his own, especially kind of a rare matchup for him where he's got a little bit of of size on the guy that's guarding him. And uh, he definitely could have gotten to his his pull up whenever he wanted to. And, yeah, he kind of went away from that and instead uh, tried to get his his uh, his teammates better. And I think that that's. um, Something that you you love to see from a from a veteran point guard, especially on a team that has struggled to score so far this season, to get them going against a team like Stony Brook because you want to get them going, you know, in SEC play. So I, I thought that it was a mature game from him who wasn't chasing numbers, but then at least got to end up with some some really good assist numbers.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, and, and with uh, it was his, his high watermark and assist for the season. Uh, With seven, he did it against only two turnovers, which I think uh, is important. You know, it's something that you notice, like, it's hard to judge assist to turnover ratio in a vacuum. I think if you listen to the podcast for a while, you know that. But in this five-out offense, uh, one thing that Florida has struggled with is live ball turnovers. And it's forced Florida into some uncomfortable positions in transition defense. And I haven't looked at the numbers. Eric probably has looked at the numbers uh knowing the two of us but it just seems like Florida's half-court defense is well first of all everybody's half-court defense is better than their transition defense but second of all I would imagine Florida's disparity is rather large um and it's not just that now certainly Florida has had its issues guarding on the perimeter some uh with blow-bys and and there have been some ugly moments um, even Stony Brook was able to take advantage of of some blow buys and get some easy baskets at the bucket, but I think when the Gators limit live ball turnovers in their five out offense uh, and make the other team rebound and set up in the half court, Florida, as you might expect, is much better defensively. So uh, Mike White teams have always been valued, have always preached that they value the basketball, or I should say, Mike White has always preached that he values the basketball. It was nice to see Florida do that. After a lot of turnover-prone games in December,
1: yeah, like Florida's in the 93rd percentile nationally for half-court defense. Um, they're in the 67th percentile for for transition defense. So, there you um, go. Both, both pretty good numbers, but you know if that gives you any indication and and the average kind of value of um, a transition attempt, which again this isn't totally fair for what I'm about to say, but um, it's about 0.2 points per possession higher in transition, which is pretty significant. Um, but again, that's all transition opportunities. Um, I don't have it broken down for after a live ball turnover, but, uh, man, I'm sure that those, those transition opportunities following a live ball turnover for the Gators, uh, those have to be some of the most valuable, you know, chances in basketball when you can get, cause when you're, if you're, if you're getting a shot that follows a live ball turnover, it's probably at the rim, it's probably numbers in transition. So yeah, those are just uh, things you definitely don't want to see especially if you're a team like the Gators who who likes your half-court defense you just don't want to be giving away uh those kinds of opportunities um one other player I just wanted to ask you about Neil of course this was Kwesi Reeves or I'm going to say it's a high minute game I don't remember if he um got more earlier against like Troy I I don't I do not think so I think this was clearly his higher highest minute game so uh curious uh first what you thought of the decision to kind of in lieu of Myron Jones the guy who definitely got those minutes was uh was Kwasi Reeves. So I'm curious what you think about that decision and, um, what you saw from him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hope that, that they, in an effort to get Myron going, uh, Eric wrote a great article about how to get Myron Jones going during this, what seems like an interminable break from basketball at this point, um, that y'all should check out at Gator country, but you know, if you're going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, another thing might be to reduce his minutes. And I thought Kowase played well enough um, for the most part. Uh, there was a couple of rough moments defensively. I think I sent them privately to Eric. Um, but uh, you know, I, I just think the Florida is a much more capable offensive team when he's on the floor. I know he went one of four from three, uh, but there was only one bad miss. I thought the other two uh, kind of went all the way down, came out, Um, I was pleased with, uh, especially the way he attacked a closeout to get a layup. Um, I really wish that, you know, he would continue to attack the hoop. Um, And he also has a little bit of a mid-range game, which isn't a shot that I love. But if you're going to guard him with a smaller guard and he can get that shot where he can see over people, that's probably good, too.
1: Yeah, I thought he had uh, the one attacking closeout that, that you mentioned for a bucket, but then he had one that turned into an assist opportunity. I don't remember if the shot was knocked down, but like, it was like one of those ones where he caught it and his first step was so quick and so long and it was just one of those moments where you're like, that's like an NBA move right there, and 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 that's why you know I think he's going to be in the NBA one day. Uh, to see a guy who's six foot seven to use the footwork he did and to just be that sudden with his first step, and just to the the amount of ground that he covered with it because his legs are so long, um, it was just like in that moment I'm like, wow, there's there's going to be a star there. So I I, I hope that that's. Um, something we see at Florida, but uh, man, if we don't see it at Florida, we'll, we'll see it um, at the pros at some point. So I I thought that was pretty impressive. And again, something like we talked about on the podcast, like if Florida is going to score the basketball this year, I, I, I think, you know, with a lot of the upperclassmen, just kind of like what they are and what you're going to give you, what they're going to give you. And I think we've seen in a couple of games that, unfortunately sometimes that's not going to be enough and you just need some of that length some of those bigger shot makers that are just so valuable in modern basketball and the Gators have one that's Young, but has those skills in quasi Reeves. So, uh, you know, what What did we call for on the podcast? We said you, he should get out there a whole bunch against these low-major and mid-major opponents and get to make some mistakes in low-leverage minutes because, man, you're going to need him in, in, in big minutes in the SEC. And we got exactly what we wished for, um, for him to get 23 minutes, to get to take four three-pointers, um, to take eight total shots. I, I mean, that's exactly what we were hoping for. I, and I don't think we were going to say, hey, if you give him eight shots, it's going to be, you know, 15 points. Um, you know, it was eight points and eight shots. That's, uh, that's all right. So um, encouraged uh, by just the the fact that the Gators gave him that opportunity. And I uh, definitely was encouraged with some of those flashes we saw.
0: Yeah. I just hope, like I said, I hope that the, the end result of it is some reduced minutes for Myron against Alabama. There's just not any reason to play scared. Um, when you have a talent like Kowaisi Reeves, you try to get it on the floor and, and see what it can do and, uh, just give it some minutes. They, this is the only time that, you know, where it's all conference games from here on out, save the Big 12 challenge. So they've got to trust him enough to, to play him some. Hopefully this is a sign that they're at least going to attempt to do that. Uh, Florida does begin conference play. Uh, I guess before we go to that, I would note that the 9-3 and three, um, non-conference record is the best since Florida's Elite Eighth season. Uh, obviously, a couple very nice wins, uh, including a win over who I think now is sort of either them or Michigan State as the presumptive Big Ten favorite at this point, Ohio State. Um, and then what kind of quietly has, is creeping up as a better win is Florida's blowout over Cal. Um, we're seeing that the Bears playing pretty good basketball right now. We'll we'll get an idea of what that if it's just about opponents like Arizona State being horrible or uh, what it, what it is um, when they play USC at Hospitalian on Thursday night, Eric. Um, you know, and I did check to see if that game was still on, and it, it is still on because right now, like half the games are canceled on any given day. Um, we've kind of reached that that point uh, with Omicron and and Delta combined here in the states. Um, but, uh, you know, I think these pauses might be shorter with the CDC's five day, uh, a quarantine suggestion. So hopefully that's what ends up happening. And hopefully this is only a a month or so, uh, before it starts to drift away again. Um, in any event, it gets back to a point that Eric pointed out or Eric made on an earlier pod that like. As good as the SEC is, five ranked teams, eight teams in the KimPOM top 50, um, third overall in, in the rankings um, in the adjusted KimPOM efficiency conference rankings. Eric still can't count on all your resume opportunities to actually be there because of the pandemic. So gotta gotta get off to a fast start against, I don't want to say a bizarre Alabama team but like a really good Alabama team that has also made us scratch our heads some. Is that fair?
1: (laughs) That's totally fair. And um, again, I I think one thing that would scare me too is like, it's, it's not only, Hey, does your game with, you know, Auburn get canceled and take away a resume opportunity. It's like, you know, the Gators have Georgia at home. Could you imagine if they have three or four starters out and, but then they still play that game with Georgia and they end up losing because they're missing out on all those starters. Um, That would be like, you know, That'd be the biggest problem. And, and Neil, you also brushed over something that's just crazy about Florida's non-conference schedule. And I I think that it's just absurd, but I I don't know if anyone has seen this with, with Florida state, but Florida state is yet to have a quadrant one or two win. Um, Their only wins are quadrant three or four, which is just like legitimately hard to do. So unfortunately that win by the Gators that we were very excited about at the time is, which I mean, Hey, Gators still took care of business against a, a rival. That's awesome. But, uh, Man, they are not the team we we thought they were and and i I still thought they were pretty good but man they just did not get anything done and um in a game of cupcakes um or a schedule full of cupcakes they just you know didn't get much you know meat on the bone and now they don't even have a quadrant one or two victory so to not have a quadrant two victory at this point is pretty wild but um and there uh, there aren't that many in the ACC no yeah well I know <laughs> I know a couple of people are beating the drum of one bit ACC and I think for content reasons that would be just Amazing, but uh that'll be for another show down down the line. Um, but uh with with Alabama who the Gators are now opening up with, uh, I would say not the team that you'd want to be opening up your SEC season um after a pause. But uh like you said as well, you've kind of seen that they have uh they have the ability a little bit to uh to beat anyone in the country. Like you look right now and they have two of the arguable like best wins in the in in the country right now beating Gonzaga by nine um and uh beating Houston which again Houston just lost two of their best players to injuries so unfortunately that one is uh um not gonna age as well as it should but Houston was a team that was looking like one of the best teams in the country and, and Alabama beat them so just two awesome wins they also hammered Oakland who looks like the best team in the horizon they hammered Louisiana Tech so who's looks like the best team in their league um they have a lot of good wins and then they lose to Iona. They lose to Memphis by 14, which is crazy. And then they uh, lose to a team that we do really like um, in Davidson. And they of course accepted that game like a day before to make up for a cancellation. And um, man, I, I think there's probably 50 teams, high major teams in the country who would have said, no way are we playing Davidson on, on, on uh, no, uh, no preparation. So I'm really glad that Al- Alabama took that game, but unfortunately lost it. So, uh, you can see that they can beat just about anyone. And, uh, they also can, uh, can lose to some puzzling teams like Memphis as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Alabama won by 20, to be honest. Uh, also it wouldn't totally surprise me if Florida won by six or seven. Um, you know, I, I really think it's one of these games that could really go, uh, in either direction. And it's not just because we aren't totally sure uh, which Alabama team will show up. It's because, you know, while I'm not sure you want to play a team that wants to impose its will tempo-wise um, and just attacks everything off the dribble uh, to try to get downhill with the basket when you come off a pause because you don't know what conditioning's like. Like, for example, Jason Jatobo has just been playing great. And, like, let's hope he wasn't affected by COVID like he was a season ago because uh, any chance that some of this momentum that he's building up is slowed is is unfortunate, even though this isn't necessarily a great matchup game for Jason anyway. Um, you know, Alabama at the same time has, has struggled against both height and um, length, and then they've struggled – when they don't shoot the ball particularly well against teams that defend the three-point line. Well, well, Florida defends the three-point line pretty well um, height and length Florida's going to bother them less <laughs> than some other opponents. Um, but then again, they beat Gonzaga who has plenty of all that. So um, just thoughts on Nate NATO style. As it enters the second year, they're not playing quite as fast, Eric, uh, as they were a season ago, but still playing pretty quick. I think mainly they just had more half court possessions because they're not as good defensively. And that's kind of what's feeding those tempo numbers.
1: Yeah, I, I really kind of respect what Nato's does because the style is so um, like, like it's so like you watch Alabama play and it's just like, you know, that's Nato's basketball. It doesn't look like a, a lot of what we're, we're seeing in college basketball. And a lot of it is like some of the dribble drive that was very popular like 10 or 12 years ago. And then also, it's super modernized and and the way that they create gaps is just so subtle like I I think that some people have like like Nate has a little bit of a reputation as someone who's just like you know rolls the balls out and lets the guys play and and that's because I think there is so much like straight line driving and people think that that's like like oh that he's just got really good players that can straight line drive uh when really it's like very subtle gap creation and like manipulating help so that these guys who can get just a a half step on their primary defender, that there's no one there to dig down and and take away those drives. So uh, I I tweeted out earlier that um, um, I forget which game it was where, where Florida, I guess, Ohio State, where uh, where Florida had uh, um, this gap play for Tyree Appleby and then it turned into that counter for a lob to uh, Anthony Druji for the biggest bucket of the game. And I tweeted out um, Alabama running the same thing because I thought that Alabama really popularized that kind of set. And again, it's just a very subtle manipulation of the help side defense that when you've got a guard like Tyree Appleby, he can just get a half step by his defender and no one's going to be there to, to dig down into the lane to take away the drive. So uh Alabama does that super, super well. And and just watching the way that they they play offense, I, I, I think it's so unique. And I think that it's, it's there's just so much subtlety to it that that I find it very interesting and um enjoyable to watch, where some teams that just have guards that are really good and that can create drives wherever they want, um, um it's it's not quite the same way. So uh that's kind of the thing that I I I kind of think about when I think about uh NATO's basketball.
0: Yeah, I was gonna I was also going to say, you know, I think best drive and kick team, um, in the country period. And when they drive and kick, they shoot a much better three point percentage than when they, when you can contain them on the perimeter, they pass the ball around and then shoot. Um, just, you know, some of that is they're shooting with set feet a little more on driving kicks. Um, but not all of it. I mean, sometimes you're catching a pass and your feet are set. It's just about rotations, really, and the pressure that you create on defenses when you're able to get downhill at the basket and kick the ball out. Alabama is fabulous at that. Now, like I said, uh, not quite as lethal from deep uh, this season. They're in about the 170s, I think, in three-point shooting percentage. Um, they were a top 100 team last year so they don't shoot it quite as well. Uh, That's what happens when John Petty graduates, mainly. Um, And Jaden Shackelford has been okay. Um, Javon Quinterly, not a tremendous shooter, really, but just marvelous and crafty at getting into the lane, using his body to create space. Uh, Really a guy that you can call on when you really need a basket in the half court. He almost makes Alabama a little bit run-proof, too, which makes them difficult to play against.
1: Yeah. I actually think that shackleford has been awesome shooting the three. I mean, he's at 39%, but on over eight attempts per game. So yeah. that's pretty, pretty heavy volume. And uh, uh, to be shooting 39%, like, yeah, if you can shoot 39% shooting, you know, over eight threes a game, I, I think that's super impressive. So he's the yeah. one guy that, that awesome really does. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but, but other than that, I mean, you look at, like you were saying, other than that, it's, it's guys that are um, a little like, well, and some of them, their percentages aren't, you know, great. Like, like Keon Ellis would be their next best shooter at like 35%. But, um, when you look at kind of the breakdown of, of his shooting, it's, it's, it's a little bit more streaky. He's had a number of like, zero for four, 0 for five games, and then has had some five for six games. So, uh, that's a little bit of that boom and bust kind of way that they play because I I think that obviously like Nate Oates is like sold out on like, we are going to shoot a lot of threes and their offense just generates so many threes that even if you have below average shooting, I mean, wide open threes from below average three point shooters is still good offense. So I think that they're very committed to that, but just the nature of the fact that they are so good at generating those shots, but don't have those like lethal knockdown shooters other than Shackleford. um, Yeah. They're, they're just going to be very, they're going to run hot and cold, and I think that that um, was probably something, Neil, that you were kind of suggesting when you said that you could see Alabama winning by 20 or, you know, losing by a bunch is because you know that they're going to shoot a ton of threes, and it could really hinge on, like, do those kind of, I'll call them secondary shooters like Javon Quinterly or J.D. Davison, guys that will put them up but aren't necessarily great shooters. Are those guys going to go, you know, a combined uh you know, two for 11, or are they going to go seven for 11? Because because both are kind of possible. So I'll, I'll be really interested, again, for the Gators who are ha, ha, you know, but done really really well at running guys off the three-point line and that's, um, as much as I've kind of had problems with some of the way they've defended, their ability to keep guys off the three-point line has been fantastic and they deserve all kinds of credit for that. But um you know, how many shots are the Gators going to feel comfortable um, allowing at the rim? Uh, that'll be really interesting and and especially like they are obviously happy to have contested shots at the rim when Colin Castleton has been there. Who's obviously a great rim protector, but uh, again, they're not going to put you in situations where it's uh Colin Castleton is set and vertical. It's going to be like, here's Tyree Appleby frantically rotating over and help. Uh, so kind of like Florida from a schematic standpoint, definitely interested to see um, how they combat these, again, these gap creation sets that, that Nate Oates is so good at.
0: Yeah. And they've, Okay, I wasn't muted. Um, They've got uh, a couple guys in J.D. Davison, um, who's just a – I mean, he's only a freshman, but just an outstanding passer, Eric. Uh, And then uh, Noah Gurley is a guy who can really pass the ball uh, as a big. Um, And, by the way, just played his best game uh, in the win over Tennessee. They had kind of been wondering, like, What's going on with him? Uh, is he really adjust? Is he struggling to adjust to high major basketball? And then he goes out against a really good Tennessee team, albeit one without John Fulkerson and Kennedy Chandler, and looks like a world beater. Um, he, to me, is the other X factor Wednesday night because I don't know necessarily, like, I think Florida is very capable of getting the ball to Colin Castleton and doing some things that they want to do offensively. We haven't gotten Alabama's defense yet, but they're not quite as good defensively as they were last year. Um, And I think not quite as good might even be a little generous. Um, You're going to be able to get baskets against Alabama. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't get stops and produce steals and turnovers. They are pretty good at that, um, but they're kind of smallish. So I think you can get inside – and pound them a little bit, but Noah Gurley could fix some of that, especially against Florida. That doesn't really have a true four.
1: Yeah. It's kind of interesting to, to see. I uh, like, again, I, I really like Noah Gurley. He was someone that people will remember. I really wanted Florida to get when he was in the transfer portal. um, it was someone that Florida reached out to and they had a good, good chance at him. Um, but uh, Noah Gurley has, well, again, I, I don't think he's been awesome for them. I don't think it's a great fit within their system. Like, so he came from Furman where he was the guy they threw it into the high post to, And then he was just like a ridiculous passer. He had such good footwork in the mid range to score on his own. And then now at, uh, at Alabama, he's like a, he's like a guy who sets screens and rolls hard to the hoop, which is like what you normally want, like athletic six foot 10, 230 guys to do not like Noah Gurley, who's like six foot eight and 215 pounds. So I don't think he's been, a like, I don't think he's been, like, bad. I just don't think he's a great fit for the system. And, again, he had a big stats game against Tennessee. And I don't want to take anything away from it. But it was, like, he was around the rim. He got a whole lot of drop-offs. And he was a guy who got to really feast from the fact that Javon Quinterly and J.D. Davidson and Jane Shackleford were just, like, getting into the paint over and over and over and over again. So, like, I I do think he probably... Again, I think he's a really good player and he's probably better than some of his lower point totals in other games, but I don't think he played as good of a game as his line would suggest. But then again, it's like, hey, he was in the right positions. He got drop off passes and he dunked them with authority. But Noah Gurley, <laughs> I do think, is an X factor because I don't think he's been totally utilized super well. But he's if he's given the opportunity to go against Con Castleton in space, um, he's got those dribble moves and he's got that footwork. And same as, you know, put Jason Jatobo and that kind of position as well like same thing the one thing i do think is interesting like you mentioned is um just according to ken palm which is like fairly accurate with this stuff but not always perfect uh, it says that over the last five games noah Gurley has only played six percent of alabama's minutes at the four and i was going back and kind of looking at some of their lineup data and uh it, they really don't like to play noah Gurley at the four very much even though he's six foot eight and 215 pounds only so he plays most of his minutes at the five he doesn't get many minutes at the four so I, I Like when I think about Noah Gurley against the Gators, like I think he's going to be at the five, then it makes for kind of some interesting matchups because like, I do think he could hypothetically get the best of Colin Castleton in space, but they just have such good other ball handlers that they don't really use Noah Gurley in that role. And then of course, I think on the other end, it's like, wow, six foot eight, 215 pound Noah Gurley against Colin Castleton. Like those are the matchups that Colin Castleton has just devoured over the last year and a half. So I do like that matchup. But then you have their kind of total switch up to that, which is Charles Bediako, uh, seven foot, um, five star, who's, uh hasn't played as much as I expected. And I think part of that is just, um, well, I do think he's been hurting them on the defensive end um, a little bit, but uh, it, it's it makes for a very interesting center rotation where you've got like Charles Bediako, who's like, yeah, like run and jump, set screens, roll to the hoop, dunk. And then you've got Noah Gurley, who's like super skill, super finesse, um, great skill. And it's, uh, it, it's a very interesting center combination that I'll be really interested to see um, who Florida, like what, what minutes do they try to get Con Castleton against? Who do they try to get Jason Jatobo against? Do they go CJ Felder at the five? Uh, just little things like that. Um, this will be interesting because this is uh, not like any of the, of the other opponents that Florida's
0: faced this year. Yeah. It was interesting that NATO, it's kind of isolated. Anthony DeRuji, uh is like an X factor that they were concerned about. Um, you know, probably because the way that now I wish, and you wish, I know we both wish that, that Anthony would like attack the basket off the dribble occasionally, um, given just his freakish athleticism, uh, it would seem that he doesn't have to get terribly close to the basket, Eric, to, to have that be somewhat, um, effective, but, just as somebody that Florida has been comfortable passing to uh, when they double, uh, Nate said, you know, obviously we want to play man-to-man defense. We're going to play Alabama basketball, but we know that we have to be mindful of Castleton, um, which every coach is going to say. Uh, And I think probably reading between the lines on that, he's saying, look, like we were able to take care of Uris Plasvich and Bradley Hatley Huntfield this is an altogether different type of big it's one with skilled post moves um you know and while he may not have much of a jump shot certainly colin has a really nice hook he's good at getting under and finishing at the rim getting under his man um so i think you know i don't know i mean it is the the girly castleton matchup is very fascinating to me because i almost feel like both of them can take advantage of each other on the other side um so then it really does come down to like What's Florida's counter to Badiaco?
1: Yeah, and again, I I, I like Badiaco a lot. I think he's a five star for a reason, but um, I, especially within Alabama's system, it's like they're not going to like post him up. Like they I, they don't really have interest in um, in in throwing it to him and and letting him go one on one. That's just not NATO's It's basketball. Um, one thing that's pretty crazy. There's there's a couple just like crazy stats about Alabama and one of them is that they've only had post-up possessions uh, or they've only had 16 post-up possessions um, all season long like they just like don't post up Um, they also only have 13 mid-range jumpers all season or all season long that's another crazy jumper or or number and uh, you also see that they don't um, they don't double team um, on the post or, or on the low block they only have like six or seven times this season and uh everything about this is just like modern basketball analytics 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 like everything I could tell you about like what is the like general th- rule of, of analytics on guarding the post oh don't do it that much and uh don't worry about double teaming it's like Nate Oates says that you know obviously you want to stay away from mid-range jump shots um Nate Oates does that um so uh again that's part of part of what fascinates me so much about Nate Oates is he is like as modern of a basketball coach as as there is and as analytically driven as there is. So what I'm getting at is I, I one, I don't think that Betty is necessarily going to hurt the Gators other than his kind of gravity as a roller, which could certainly give the Gators problems, um, especially when Florida hedges ball screens, because as we know in that, defense it's the lowest man on the opposite side of the floor that is responsible for rotating over and tagging that roller so that's going to be like Myron Jones a lot of the time um that's going to be Tyree Appleby a lot of the time and kind of like we have seen for years when it was like Kayvon Allen and then Noah Locke like some of these smaller shooting guards that Florida's had and those were the guys that were responsible for tagging rollers we know that that has not always gone super well for the Gators so so B- Betty Ako could cause problems on on that end uh um, but also I wanted to get to, uh, just how the fact that because Alabama doesn't like to double team in the post, uh, I'll be really interested to see if Calston gets one of those deep catches on the, the right block where he can just like easily go over his left shoulder for a hook, which he's done so well. I'll be interested if they just let him do that, or if they choose to double, which would be something just kind of atypical to their normal defensive scheme. And I think that anytime you can get a team kind of out of their, their, their normal defensive kind of principles. Um, that's usually a win for your offense.
0: Yeah. I mean, they were talking about being responsible with their switches to the media. Antoine Petway actually met with the media as opposed to Nate Oates today and um, said, this is the second instant double double that we'll be playing in the last two weeks. The last one referring to Luca Brockovich of Davidson killed us. Um, so we just have to be really responsible in our switches um, because Castleton is certainly just as capable as the kid from Davidson was in the post, if not more capable. (laughs) That's interesting. uh, and and,
1: and, but, But again, and just like one thing that I, that kind of strikes me when I watch Alabama is they just look really small, like just in, in kind of all kind of ways. Like, again, like often you people look at like a team's front court and it's like, Oh, they've got a six foot eight guy at center. They're small, but then you look up and down their other positions and they've got size and it's like, well, how small are they really? But like, you know, looking at Alabama, like their their best lineup, the one they play the most, is Javon Quinterly, who's 6'1", 170 pounds. Jane Shackelford, who's six three, but stout at two hundred pounds. It's Keon Ellis, who's listed at six six. I'm not sure about that, um, but he's a, listed one hundred seventy five pounds. It's definitely no heavier than that. Uh Jawan Gary, six foot six, two hundred fifteen pounds at, at power forward, and Noah Gurley, six foot eight, two hundred fifteen pounds at center. So it's not like they're like, you know, super small everywhere. But you just kind of look at every position, and they're just like a little bit undersized and you know, their, their average weight skews closer to like 190 pounds than, you know, 225. So I I do think that just up and down their lineup. They, they look small. And then also, yes, at that center position, they're small. So it's interesting that you mentioned the switches because it's like, you know, Colin Castleton has an advantage on Noah Gurley, but yeah, if they switch Juwan Gary on Tim on the post, it's like, you don't like that matchup either. If you're Alabama, I, I I don't think so. Uh, that will, will they choose to switch that? I mean, We'll see. The the one thing that I do think would suggest that they'll want to switch is just that I don't know how much they're going to... Like, if Noah Gurley gets switched on to a Myron Jones on the perimeter, I don't think Alabama's, you know, particularly concerned about that. What about if Noah Gurley gets switched on to Brandon McKissick? I don't don't really think that they're going to be worried about that. Um, If he gets switched on to... Uh, if Juwan Gary gets switched on to Flanders Fleming, do they, you know, maybe they're concerned about that, but the Gators don't really have all those kind of like one-on-one threats to really punish on the perimeter. They just have that threat on the inside in Colin Castleton to, to punish smaller guys.
0: Well, I think you have nailed really like, and it's silly to say that this is the, we've, we've been saying it all season, but Florida's going to have, I think Florida will have opportunities um, to shoot the three Uh, against Alabama um, because, you know, even if Alabama is caught, first of all, if they're caught in switches, you'll get those opportunities. Second of all, I think Florida can get those opportunities if they cheat to help um, in the post or cheat to make sure that Florida can't clean up the offensive glass. Um, And, you know, certainly once Luka Brockovich got going for Davidson in the Florida game or in the Davidson-Alabama game, 22 points, 8 rebounds, Uh, Brockovich also had a couple assists and that's Davidson was able to get a lot of open looks. Florida's going to have to hit some open shots if they want to have any chance of winning this game. I think that kind of goes without saying, Eric. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of favorable post matchups offensively for Florida. Um, the other question I have for you is when we start talking about getting stops, you know, I know high level offense versus Florida's ball screen defense has concerned you. Um, for a couple seasons, I think, Um, something that we've talked about. Florida has been pretty good when they've switched to, like, getting in the gaps more against teams that are more guard-oriented. I'm thinking now of Mike White's adjustments to beat Auburn over and over again, um, and maybe some of those will be useful. And I do think Davidson provides a little bit of a blueprint, but I'm wondering if it negates something that this Florida team kind of needs offensively. Eric, which is that we both think they're probably better when they gamble a little more defensively. What's your thought on that against Alabama? Because to me, it seems like they're the kind of team you want to stay home against more of the scout.
1: Well, the thing is, if you play that kind of like, I'll call it pack line, but not many people play true pack line anymore, but where you're really relying on those players one pass away to dig down and take away from drives, which I do think Florida had some success with playing a little bit more in the gaps, like you mentioned, especially last season. But the thing is like, that is not a good matchup for what Alabama does, because if you're relying on gap help to your left, um, for example, and the guy starts driving right, like Alabama is going to have manipulated that guy three seconds earlier and you haven't realized it yet. So it's going to be a straight line drive. Like, like Alabama has really feasted on those kind of like gap control teams. And uh, that would, that would concern me greatly. I would, I would think if if Florida tried to go that way Um, again, they're going to get spaced out a little bit by Alabama who does a lot of five out. But I I think that if you're relying for, you know, the help from one pass away in the gap, I I just think Alabama is too good at manipulating it. And the other thing that, you know, like you said, the the pick and rolls. One thing I also think that Alabama does so well, and I just like, cannot for the life of me understand why college basketball coaches are so far behind the NBA in this, but Alabama does it so well. And it is so much more lethal with a 30 second clock than the 24 second clock in the NBA, but they will hunt matchups relentlessly. And that is if everyone can go to a dark part of their mind and go back to last season where Alabama just dominated the Gators like they just spent the first fifteen seconds of the shot clock, you know, moving the ball around and using time like ghost screens until Florida would switch into the matchup they would want, and then they would start going downhill and creating those gaps. And just every single time down the floor, whether it was Scotty Lewis um, or whether it was getting Colin Castleton switched on the perimeter, like they did, yeah. like it was like for the first twelve or fourteen seconds of the shot clock, they weren't concerned with trying to score; they were just concerned with getting the matchup they wanted. And then they went at it over and over and over and over again. So it was not the finest defensive. A moment for a couple of Gators who were relentlessly exposed, but I, I don't even you know totally fault them because it was just like I, I just think it's such good offense, and I just do not understand why college basketball coaches have been so slow to adjust to that. Because again, with a thirty second clock, you can spend so much time trying to get the matchup you want, and then still have plenty of time to, to run your offense. So, um, you know, soon the end, soon college basketball will you know one day catch up to the NBA. Um, in, in that fashion, but uh, Alabama does that. So like, I, I just wonder if Florida is going to be able to put enough good perimeter defenders on the floor, because they have three guys that I think are really good at driving the basketball. And I'm not sure if Florida has enough guys that can guard really well in the perimeter to keep them all out of the paint, especially when they are doing a really good job of, of hunting whoever they want.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you about it not being the best strategy. I'm just wondering if Florida should stay at home a little more and take less risk. Um, I think, you know, like, for example, Barrick St. Louis, the guard that basically helped Iona. Uh, Barry, I think it's Barrick John Louis, not St. Louis, but whatever. Um the 6'4 city guard that Rick Patino found in the middle of the Bronx that basically just beat Alabama. Um, he had five steals against Alabama, but they only had 13 turnovers, Alabama, as a team, um, seven of which came off Iona steals. So if you go back and watch the whole game, which I did for this podcast, um, you'll note that five of these steals just came on guys – just digging down and defending straight line drives. It wasn't gambles. It wasn't let's get into a lane and get an interception. It was just let's force an empty possession. Um, and I think that's the key to beating Alabama. You're not necessarily going to get a ton in transition. I don't think they're quite as good to fit. They don't have Herb Jones. They don't have Josh Primo. So they're not as good on defense um, because they're missing two super talented defenders. Uh Keon Ellis is really good defensively Javon Quinterly is pretty darn good defensively uh they have other guys that we've seen Florida light up like a Christmas tree um, (laughs) on defense in the past including Jaden Shackelford who you know as great as he can shoot it'll be interesting to see what his NBA future is um if he doesn't decide to care about defense um and if you can't care playing for Nate Oates I don't know um so uh, you know what I'll say is Iona and Davidson seem content to try to get the Brandon McKissick grown man steal um, as opposed to the Tyree Appleby gamble. Because my, if, if you try to play five on four or if you over pursue um, and and do things like that, it just creates and complicates Alabama's ability to exploit gaps even more.
1: Yeah, I do think too, especially in college basketball, teams overhelp so much. And, uh, and I think that that's just a lot of the old school coaching where it's all about like help, 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 take away the rim and guys help when they shouldn't. And that's for a team like Alabama, who's like driving often with the interest of kicking out to a shooter. Um, These teams that are just going to weigh over help. They're just Alabama's perfect for, for taking advantage of them. So there's definitely some times watching Alabama play and I think they're awesome offensively. But I look and it's like, man, like just like for once, could you try to like challenge Javon Quinterly at six foot one to actually, you know, finish around a shot blocker um, or, you know, Jane Shackleford, who I, you know, think is a really good player, but it's like, he's super explosive and crafty finishing around the rim. And and there is some times where I see teams playing against Alabama and because Alabama is so good at driving. And you know, that the whole week leading up to practice, coaches are screaming at them to be in help side, be in help side, take away these drives. They're so good at driving being side. You're just like, yeah, like, you know, you don't need three people there to stop six foot one, Javon Quinterly, who's not super interested in finishing. So if that is definitely the like if that's the case and, and Alabama is just like raining threes because they're driving and kicking, driving, kicking, driving, kicking, that would be my one kind of response to even like staying at home. It's like, Hey, can you stay home at shooters a little bit and kind of trust your, uh, hopefully it's con Castleton, but it might be another guy, but can you just like maybe force them tougher finishes at the rim versus like selling out to, to guard the rim and, and maybe giving up some of these easy catch and shoots.
0: Yeah. I love that point about Quinterly too. Um, and I love it even more given that when you watch the Davidson game or when you watch Tennessee play Alabama the other night um, I mean Rick Barnes was furious when they helped uh, but his was all arm motions whereas Bob McKillop yells so loud it's kind of like Mike White like you can hear him Mm. and now having been to a couple Davidson games I can tell you that it's like very distinctive and um, you know there was one point in the CM Newton game where Quinterly went and actually made an incredible shot at the rim one-on-one, kind of like just looped it up, kind of a prayer uh, off his shoulder. But, man, Bob McKillop was just yelling, make him finish, make him finish. <laughs> so um, hopefully, like, Florida pays some attention to that and doesn't get caught overhelping or overpursuing.
1: Yeah, and well, obviously, Florida has been so good at eliminating the three point shot that maybe maybe we should just kind of assume that they'll be be ready to do that, and uh, uh, that'll be kind of kind of the key is because it's like, do you try to take away those three point attempts entirely, or do you see if Alabama is having one of their their kind of cold cold games? But uh, uh, that's what kind of makes this. Uh, I think you put it well, where it's like it's a game where I could see Alabama winning by a blowout, I
0: could see Florida winning by a blowout. Well, let's talk about what types of lineups might help Florida um, best against uh, Alabama and just an SEC play generally moving forward. You wrote a piece about this at Gator Country. What would you find out, Eric?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely just best if people just you know read it so you can see some of these lineups. But I would say one of the kind of overarching themes, and, and again, I wasn't kind of writing this with the express interest of, of – singling out any, any particular player, but the numbers kind of are what the numbers are. And in this particular look at Florida start to the season, it was uh, kind of a lot of the lineups that got heavy minutes are uh, one group of players with Brandon McKissick or one group of players with Brandon McKissick out and Flanders Fleming in his place. And kind of the overarching theme was that these lineups have been much, much better with Flanders Fleming in the lineup and with Brandon McKissick on the bench And uh, I would say that that kind of got the most uh, reaction. And I'm curious if that matches your eye test, Neil, or what you thought about seeing these lineups that were, you know, starters and Brandon McKissick and then seeing those lineups with uh, starters and Flanders Fleming and McKissick's place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I don't know if it was you or me on the last podcast, like I said, it's been a while people. Um, But I mean, Brandon McKissick has got to shoot the ball. Well, Eric, for him to continue to be a guy that, gets a huge number of minutes for me. Um, And I appreciate the effort that he plays with. I appreciate the energy, but there's no reason that that energy necessarily means needs to mean 26, 27 minutes a game. Um, Especially if they are going to play Myron Jones for a high volume minutes because Mike White seems thoroughly convinced that he's going to start shooting well, as he should, by the way, because his career numbers say he's going to shoot well. Um, You know, so if you're a head coach and he's your best shooter, you have to, a say that and B believe it, but maybe that's another place for a Kawasi Reeves to to suck up some minutes. Um, I don't think they're going to go to Niles Lane because they don't trust him offensively at all. Um, you know, but if you wanted to go for a defensive presence, you know, maybe you go in that direction just because Niles, I'm sure, would be more open to the idea that he needs to be a willing passer uh, as opposed to somebody that creates issues with his offense too, Eric. And I need mean yeah. bad issues.
1: <laughs> yeah, we actually didn't talk about Niles Lane in the context of Florida needing enough perimeter defenders against Alabama. So would this be the time Niles Lane get, jumps in? I, we'll see. I wouldn't expect it, but hey, if the Gators are really struggling to guard, maybe that's it. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that there maybe is a little bit of a difference in what Brandon McKissick thinks is, his role is than, uh, or it should be than what you know some of these assistants that are constantly calling on him to to take open shots. Um, and one thing I do think to consider with McKissick is like, if you actually look at his, well, you look at his career at UMKC is like, and maybe this was an indication that we should have considered a little bit more relative to his shooting is that like, he's always hovered around three, three point attempts a game. And for someone who's played a ton of minutes at the guard position, that's not a lot of three point attempts. And, you know, so maybe the 43% he shot last year, um, you know, maybe we should have known that, looked at the relatively small sample size and thought, "Mm, you know, maybe the 43% isn't totally for real. And then we also could have looked two seasons ago where um, I I guess that would have been his, you know, third season, uh, his his junior season. Um, He only shot 32% from three. So it's uh, he's been a little bit, you know, streaky through his career and he hasn't taken a lot of attempts. But again, I still think kind of looking at his mechanics, looking at um, still looking at some of his numbers from last year, and then also just seeing the other elements of his game, I, I think he is going to be best as a you know catch and shoot player. And I, I do think that something we have seen problems with is the fact that he does drive into traffic a lot, and he's just not athletic or long enough to get those shots off. And we've just seen him get his shot blocked so many times. And it just kind of there. I think we all kind of have a little collective sense of concern sometimes when he puts the ball on the floor into traffic because. We know that shot's coming up and it's it's probably gonna be blocked. And there's times where it's like, yeah, that catch and shoot attempt when he got the ball reversed to him would be much better than uh that uh, that attempt he's taking when he's, you know, driving the ball and and trying to finish. And you know, you look at then Flanders Fleming and those in those, those places, it's like Florida's offense is so much better. And I think it's because Flanders Fleming, while he hasn't been an awesome shooter has been a better shooter, but also, you know, it's just like his ability to choose times when to drive and also his ability to finish when he drives like that has just been, you know, so much different than what we've seen from McKissick, but uh, you know, the numbers are pretty stark and uh, I would encourage people if they haven't uh, seen those yet to uh, check out my, my piece.
0: Yeah. Anything else that you, kind of picked up on early, like trend wise. So
1: two things that I thought really interesting and uh, I'll, I'll I'll call these both like, you know, things that were different than the eye test. The first one, I'll tell you them both. You can respond to one or both. But one of the things I thought was really interesting was like, Myron Jones numbers are like, okay, everywhere. And it's like, they're okay with lineups that he's in, but if you replace him for another player, they're about the same without him. And I think it's really interesting because I would have thought for Myron Jones, who has such kind of a funky game, like he's been streaky shooting the ball. He handles it a little bit, you know, doesn't really finish inside. I thought that there was going to be some crazy numbers related to some lineups with Jones or, you know, some lineups, but like taking Jones out and replacing him for one player. But like Jones has just been like very average, like there is not much takeaway from like his him his on-court versus off-court impact um, or lineups where he's on versus not. So that one surprised me. And then the other one I'll say that surprised me was CJ Felder's um, numbers. A lot of his lineups uh, do not match the eye test and that I think he's been a pretty positive influence for the Gators and I like his game, but a lot of the lineup data is not good. And one thing I kind of thought was just watching the games, I thought that he was getting put in a lot of tough situations in terms of like, it always seemed like, he was out there like, like he doesn't get many minutes at the five, he doesn't get many minutes next to mm. Castleton. He was getting a lot of minutes with uh, um, with Toon Sight Gatkick earlier, not a lot of minutes, mm. but a, a, a decent chunk. And then he, he gets a lot of his minutes next to Jason Jatobo. And he's also put like for sure, like, like there was a lot, like, he's gotten put in a lot, like the most bench lineups. Like, he's played a significant amount of minutes with a lineup that had both uh, Toon Gatkick and Elijah Kennedy. And again, nothing against those players, but you probably like the the fact that Florida has went to some of these like very, very end of bench heavy lineups with these players all at once. Like you're just kind of setting guys up for, to not be, you know, really good. It's, it's not like there's like starters plus Elijah Kennedy or starters plus two and gap or starters plus CJ Felder lineups. It's like all those three are on the court together and in some of Florida's bigger games. So, but even taking those out and looking at when Felder was playing with some decent lineups um, his numbers were like, not great. And a lot of it was related to the offensive number, the offensive rating being not very good. So um that's another one that I thought, you know, like, uh, Oh, I, you know, I've really liked the impact um that CJ Felder's had looking at the lineup data. Um, Maybe not quite the case. So do you have any, any uh, reaction to, to those two players?
0: Yeah, that the Felder stuff was really surprising to me when I looked at it. Cause I was like, man, I thought like, I figured I knew there might be some sort of a drop off between the like high leverage minutes and, some of these other lineups, but I was a little bit surprised um, and not just because he's made his fair share of threes. Like I just feel like Florida has had a boost on both ends when he's been in based on the eye tests. And it's funny how uh, when you look at the numbers, that's just not really the case. As far as Myron Jones, um that just reminds me of something that like Jim Brute said on one of their podcasts, uh, the three man weed podcast that like, um, Byron Jones for three years at Penn state was more crafty than we gave him credit for. Like he can actually create shots. He's just not super. He's not super anything. He's not super athletic. He's not a super terrific ball handler. He's not really a spectacular driver, but he is a crafty basketball player. I imagine that bumps up his offensive numbers a little bit, given that he's not shooting. That was my only thought on that. Um, I'm not stunned at all about, what his numbers look like on defense. Cause I think he's just what he is an adequate power six defender.
1: Yeah. I think that maybe even too, it's like, I, I didn't think that Jones was as good of a ball handler as, as he's been for the Gators, but obviously I think we all thought he'd shoot the three better. So I think he's offering a little bit more um, from a ball handling and playmaking standpoint, but hasn't quite been bringing the three-point shooting we expect, but it still averages out, averages out to, you know, good numbers. But I, I just was like, it's just really interesting to see that there wasn't, you know, really weird on off numbers when he's on the court versus off. And uh, uh, I will also say, looking at the lineups he's in, it's like, well, we know that he hasn't shot the ball very well. So if he does start, start shooting the ball, well, it's pretty easy to see how uh, some of those lineups, their offensive ratings could uh, could really go up. But um, yeah, I'll definitely continue to be pointing out lineup stuff throughout the year. I know people have, it went from something that I don't think anyone is really writing about in the Florida basketball sphere a couple of years ago. And now I think, you know, people are always, you know, tweeting at me asking about lineup data and stuff. So pretty cool development. I'm glad people really enjoy it. Cause I really enjoy it. So I'll be sure to have uh, more updates throughout the season.
0: Well, I hope you do. And, and I, a big reason why is that uh, I saw today um, a graphic that uh, Florida based on net has the second most difficult January schedule in the country. Um, So that's just terrific news for Gators fans. Um, But the Gators are rocking uh, Alabama at Auburn, LSU, at South Carolina, Mississippi State, who, um, by the way, I've watched now and have decided is quite good, Eric. (laughs) Um, Vanderbilt, uh, and then at Tennessee – And then Oklahoma State, that's Florida's January. Only one program in the country has a more difficult January, and it is not a program in the Southeastern Conference. So the schedule makers in Birmingham were not kind um, to Florida. It'll be very fascinating to see what Mike White does both with his rotations and the size of his bench uh, in January, because I think this is just me. I think coming off, even however brief, a COVID pause, it would be a mistake for Mike to shorten his bench this month. These games are going to be too hard. Um, And so I really think Florida needs to find someone that they trust to play a few extra minutes. uh, If they want to weather this with a record that, that, you know, assuming that these games get played, obviously tremendous opportunity, the old Spider-Man line, (laughs) great opportunity, great responsibility. Um, you know, but also the, the GIF I'm in danger, um, also comes to mind.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that. Auburn is better than I would have thought preseason LSU is better than I would have thought preseason. Cause you know, I remember when the schedule first came out, I actually thought it was pretty favorable to the Gators. Like at the time uh, kind of looking at how we kind of thought the SEC was going to shake down. And then I think we thought, you know, Arkansas was going to be better, you know, the Gators see them in February. So we thought maybe there'd be a tougher stretch there, but um, because LSU and Auburn are a lot better than what we first thought. It's like, yeah, this is a, this is a dangerous little run here. And, uh Ole Miss would have been a nice game to be able to play. Not again, I have a lot of respect for those guards, but uh and we'll see if that game gets you know still played sometime. But um you know, in terms of opening your SEC season, I think Ole Miss is like probably a team you want to open with, not Alabama after a break. So, you know, we'll see how how things go in, in, in terms of if florida can get some major momentum i mean like hey if you beat you know alabama auburn and lsu suddenly you're you know you're back probably in the you know the ap poll um but there's obviously the chance that you could go on a little bit of a rough stretch here um and these games could really start to snowball and we know that the gators haven't exactly earned themselves much rope with some of the losses they took of course you're not gonna losing to you know alabama is not going to hurt your resume anything like that. But again, the Gators just need to put in these wins. We uh actually I, I don't know if you we we talked about this privately, Neil. I don't know if we need to talk too much about it on the podcast. I know that a lot of people look at this stuff anyways. But uh looking at Bracket Matrix, who just did their kind of update at the end of December, they have the Gators as a 10 seed. So uh I, I think that, that kind of matches what we expected and just kind of shows that like, yeah, the Gators are in the tournament picture, but uh uh they're you know only a couple losses away from being you know not in that picture.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're in the same boat as Texas Tech. I mean, like, and and I think, is that a hot take? I don't know. Like, you look at Texas Tech. Texas Tech is the team that had the harder schedule, by the way, uh, in the country. Mm. And, you know, they're 10-2. and two. Okay, they don't have a Texas Southern loss, so they have no albatross. Um, but the, And they do have one good win, but they also have only one quad one win or quad two win. Um, and that was their overtime win over t- Tennessee in the Jimmy V classic on a neutral floor. So their January, Eric is Iowa state, Kansas uh, at Iowa state, Kansas at Baylor, Oklahoma state at Kansas state, Iowa state, again, West Virginia at Kansas, Mississippi state. That is absolutely horrifying. Um, and they can come out of January completely off the bubble. Um or they can come out of January still on the bubble, uh, or they can come in the, the out of January firmly in the field. And I feel like the Gators are exactly like them.
1: Yeah, it's a great parallel, and I think that yeah, people are you know would love to shoot for a little higher than that. So hey, there's a at least you have these opportunities um, laid out in front, and, and the Gators get it right away. And um, I, I think we're all pretty excited for it after the break. So I can't even imagine you know what the players and and coaches are are feeling like, so that's going to be uh, pretty exciting, but you know what, one last thing I think we uh, wanted to get to on the podcast um, was, uh, you know, I don't think uh, I fret Neil, if you were watching the Stony Brook game live, um, I was not, I was out getting my booster. So I was following the game on my phone when uh, I started to get a bunch of notifications on Twitter um, about people pointing <laughs> out um, both Neil and myself in the podcast, getting um, shouted out by, uh, by Kyle Crooks. So um, I thought that was super cool. Like um, I, I, again, like, we obviously put a lot of work into this and sometimes it can feel like, huh, I wonder if anyone's listening or, you know, who cares? So for, for Kyle Crooks to be like, you know, on, on the broadcast to to say our names was, was really cool. And uh, the other thing I'll say as well is like, there's been a couple different, you know, color guys and play by play guys in the past that have like reached out to me and asked me questions and, you know, all that. And, presumably used what I told them and didn't feel that they needed to give me credit. And that is totally okay. And that's kind of the nature of things, but for Kyle to give us credit, um, he's clearly, you know, doing something that a lot of other play by play guys do, but, um, most guys don't give credit to to who they're looking at. So I do think that that was, uh, um, yeah, I really uh, just something that gave me even more respect for Kyle, who I who I really like, who actually took the time to to thank the guys that, that he uses to prepare for games, because there's a whole lot of other guys that are also using different writers and podcasters to prepare for um, the broadcast, but, um, you know, aren't giving credit. And again, I'm not saying they should. It just is the nature of it. But I do just like um, for Kyle to go above and beyond. I thought was really cool. So wanted to definitely thank him.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, thank Kyle Crooks. Thank Pat Young on the broadcast uh really cool to 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 be recognized um and agree with what they said about eric's basketball writing uh as well um which i think if you listen to this show uh you know it's just phenomenal but um yeah so eric and i wanted to to try to in the spirit of of giving back uh what we received just kind of give shout outs to some people that that we think are really spectacular. Um, whether it's to follow on Twitter, whether it's just coverage in the Gator basketball sphere, uh, whether you know um, they're just a longtime listener that has always offered support. So uh, I, I I thought that you know it was going to be it was actually kind of tough. Like what would I decide or where would I decide to start? And I think I'm going to try to save the longest time people for last. And so early on, I just wanted to shout out, um, Brandon Carroll, who is a recruiting basketball guy at SI all Gators. And I've been watching a lot of zoom press conferences and things with Mike white this year. Um, shout out to Denver parlor for that. Uh, certainly appreciate that he's been, uh, letting me get on there with coach white and the players. And I just think Brandon asked spectacular questions. Um, I often learn from the things that he asked, and I would add that the same is true of Graham Hall. So I think two of those guys uh, that just do a really good job of of covering Florida basketball in Gainesville, where uh, neither Eric or I are.
1: Yeah, I have my Mount Rushmore of Twitter follows slash Florida Gator personalities. Are, some guys are right as well, and I knew that there was going to be um, one that we both had, and that is definitely Graham Hall. I think he's the GOAT currently. Um, just in terms of like, like he is everything I am not, he is like professional and well-researched and, you know, a real journalist. Um, so I, I, and the one thing to do with, uh, Graham that I really appreciate is like Graham's the guy who asks the, the tougher questions, I would say at press conferences. Um, and, and one thing that kind of is unfortunate about press conferences sometimes is that like, you know, you, if you ask a good question, someone gives a good quote and then everyone that's there has that quote. So it can be kind of a th- thankless job because if you get a good quote, everyone else has that quote as well. So, so Graham is the guy who asked those questions. Um, and Graham is also like sneaky scoops guy um he has a lot of great insider information a lot of the stuff like in terms of like hey is florida gonna play against alabama this week um you know graham's the guy you've got to be following for that really um you know him or chris harry for sure but uh those are two those are the two guys that you like you know really have to follow so definitely love graham i was also going to say Corey bender from now on three um he's the guy who like i don't know anything about some recruit. And then I find out that Corey Bender tweets out like a long interview with a player that is considering Florida with a bunch of information um, about him. Um, That's one that, so I think he's someone that like, is definitely more of a football guy, but from a basketball standpoint, um, he's, 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 you know, he's super important. So he's another one that I was going to say. And then of course, like if you're not following Neil Blackman at the Florida basketball hour account, you're just missing out on like some of the best basketball coverage. And I get it. I I can, you know, it's of course I'm a little bit biased, but like, where else are you going to get just that sheer volume of Florida basketball coverage? And then if you need the like fan angle of humor and, you know, your Georgia football jokes too, I think Sarah in Tampa is the, uh, the Florida fan you have to be following for sure. If you're not following Sarah in Tampa. So that's my current Mount Rushmore of Florida basketball writers slash Twitter follows.
0: Yeah, no, at Sarah in Tampa Bay is definitely a key follow. uh, If you like, like, really funny women, um, which most of us do. Um, And then, like, also somebody who clearly, like, is a coach's daughter. uh, So, like, watched a lot of sports and isn't afraid to just shred someone that tries to mansplain things. It's kind of amusing. (laughs) Um, So she's a good follow. Um, You know, got to give a shout out to one of the original – uh, just the original people, um, at Malik G, uh, has always been there for us, um, and, and promoting our stuff. So certainly extraordinarily, uh, appreciative of that. But I think, um, Brandon Carroll, uh, Sarah in Tampa Bay, uh, Graham Hall and Malik Grady, if we're going, um, on the Mount Rushmore, um, front, I, I would, be remiss if i didn't mention jake winderman just because i think Mm. since he's been back um covering things the cool thing about jake is that he uh, understands basketball comes from a family that's been around the sport at the highest level for a long time um, and understands the game and i think as a result i like the fairness in which he um approaches the current regime, because sometimes uh, the fan agendas both ways, by the way, whether it's my quite forever or uh, fire him before the plane leaves such and such city, um, you know, each side of the pitchforks, Jake's real good. He hits it down the fairway. So shout out to Jake as well.
1: Yeah, Jake was someone um, who also, like, I, I I think listens to most podcasts. So we'll, we'll see because I think I'm going to say something potentially funny and we'll, we'll see if he messages me about it. Um, but first of all, I mean, Jake was someone who, you know, when Kevin Brockway was was still at the Gainesville Sun, I remember him tweeting out, like, hey, someone's got to hire Jake when he, uh, um, you know, when he graduates. And, of course, he went on to go work for the, the G League and now works for CBS. So um, I, I wish he had the chance to do more, like, straight-up Florida kind of coverage. But, like, as people from this podcast would know, I, uh, you know, grew up, grew up in Canada, still live in Canada. So I had no idea who Jake's dad was. And I did not know that his dad was a fairly prominent um, guy who covers the heat. So I was talking to Jake like last week, literally. And he said something like in passing about how his dad gets to watch really good basketball every day. And I was like, (laughs) oh, (laughs) for sure. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So I Googled it and I, you know, found out who his dad was. Um, So I think that's cool when you can like, you know, I'm sure like, people would maybe suggest that someone whose dad was like that or in the business like that would have some kind of pretentiousness or, um, you know, something like that, but that's not the case with Jake and uh, Jake, if you're listening. Yeah. I just found that out like a week ago when you said something and uh, but yeah, Jake's definitely one of my favorite guys to, to talk, uh, talk Florida basketball with and uh, uh, good with the memes. always appreciate that. So yeah, he's, he's, I'm glad you mentioned him as well.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, just wanted to give some shout outs um, that is our show tonight. Um, we got long and deep into the Alabama preview. Uh, we will circle back a little bit, kind of come back to the SEC a bit after we can digest a week of SEC play and maybe some observations. You know, since I teased it now with with saying that Miss State is quite good, uh, we, we can get into some of the other things that are going to happen around the league. I'm really looking forward to the SEC Big 12 Challenge this year at the end of the month. I hope that the covid uh, situation doesn't crush that from happening. Um, there's just some spectacular games. I think Florida, Oklahoma state is going to be, um, kind of a street fight, which will be really, uh, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, um, if you like a good rock fight, that will be a fantastic one. Uh, and that's just the beginning. So lots to talk about. Thank you all for listening. Happy new year to everyone. Uh, Eric go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.